everyone, you are in the game, a podcast bringing disruptive insights and analysis into the business of sports. This is Vladimir Bosanets coming to you from Seattle, Washington. And this is Anand Punjabi here in London, England. In today's podcast, we provide a brief update on the ongoing negotiations of those juicy media rights deals between NFL and its broadcasting partners. Then we ask a question, is the Olympics on the verge of being canceled altogether? We examine the very expensive ramifications of such an event. And for our main story this week, we take a dive into even further inroads American investors are making into the lucrative world of European football. So kick back and get ready to get in the game with us. Anand, how are things? Things are good, Vlad. I cannot complain. Working with you, which is a delight. So what's thank you? What's not to like about life? <laughs> I, hey, should we talk to our wives about that at some at one point also? <laughs> well, my wife doesn't see me anymore because, as you know, we record late <laughs> into the night in England. So maybe she's happy with that. I'm not sure, but that's maybe yeah. That's maybe, maybe listen. Maybe this is one of the things you don't want to disrupt. Let's just see how it goes. Yeah. It might be might be just the perfect thing. So Anand, on the show this week, I wanted to kind of get us back into this conversation with uh, NFL and their conversations with the um, broadcasters. So right after we finished our show last week, the news actually came out that NFL and Disney have reached a deal on their broadcasting agreement. Ah, fantastic. So I, I thought, okay, we yeah, we got to bring this up and just kind of have another mention of it. The interesting thing about it is that they came in, looks like at about $2.5 billion a year, uh, which sounds like a big number. It is a big number. We were talking about how the NFL was coming out of the gate wanting double what was paid 10 years ago. That's right. right? That's right. They wanted to go from 40s to nearly 100 overall package. To nearly 100 billion, yes. right. And and that double actually was going to put Disney at about $3.5 billion. Okay. So now it looks like the deal closed at $2.5 billion. Okay. So what that's showing is that maybe things are not going so well for uh, the NFL. What do you think happens after this story came out, Anna? So wait, so when you say two and a half billion, this is a media story? This is a press release? I didn't, I didn't quite understand. This was a story. Okay. It was reported in, I think, Variety and a couple of other okay. outlets. Okay. And so there is a reporter okay. that basically right. came out and said, this is what I've uh, uncovered, right? So what happened next? So we thought NFL is going to pitch at three and a half. This article said two and a half, and you're asking me what happens next. Okay, I'm going to say the reporter, he, he had a typo, and it's actually four and a half. The NFL made out like <laughs> bandits. Is that right? Well, n not quite. Okay. The NFL did come out right away and basically said, no, 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 no such agreement has been reached. And of course they did, because why would you say that? Because it shows that you maybe don't have the power that you thought you did, right, right? Right, And so I think whoever leaked this information wanted to ensure maybe that the NFL does not get its double fees. But the reporter stood by the story. He actually uh, did come back out and said, nope, this is correct. This is what I got, and I'm sticking to it. Maybe it was Donald Duck's nephews that came out with that story there from Disney, from the Disney camp. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Okay, so we still have to see, right, is kind of where we are. There's no official release yet. There's no official release. They were The only official kind of thing that I've heard a couple of weeks ago was that they're trying to wrap it up by March 17th. Right. So it's going to be done in the next couple of weeks. Right. But we don't know yet. Well, listen, these negotiations are so complex, right? This is the biggest yes. media rights deal in all of sports. So it takes time to negotiate these things. Maybe they've already negotiated, but until the ink is dry, 
You just don't know what the numbers are going to be because there's so much That's at right. stake. That's we know right. that yep. we read recently that AT&T is likely to be giving up uh, DirecTV. They're selling a portion of the their That's DirecTV right. rights because apparently it's been running at a loss of $2.5 billion to AT&T and maybe they don't want to eat that loss any further. So they're selling 30% of their DirecTV unit to a private equity outfit, which as we understand means that DirecTV is going to be out of the NFL game which means perhaps you know Amazon or some other OTT or some st- big streaming platform, tech platform is going to come in and take those rights up. Or maybe it's one of the networks. Didn't you say last week when we touched upon this, one of the, was it the NBC CEO that came out and said, we are fully committed to making sure we keep Sunday, yes, night, keep football. Sunday night football. Maybe they're going to add Thursday as well. I don't know if, um, yeah. if they're allowed to do that and take up those slots as well, but not long to go, a week or two to go, and we'll know exactly what's happening with who's going to be showing which games after 21 and 22. That's right. So we want to talk a little bit now about the Olympics. We talked about it. Oh, boy. We talked about it a few weeks ago. And, uh, yes. you know, the Olympics, yes. whether you love them or hate them, they're hopefully around the corner this summer, but maybe not. Do you know, Vlad, of all the modern Olympic games, I'm talking about the summer editions, do you know how many have actually been canceled? And I'll give you a little context, okay? Okay. 31 Summer Olympic Games have been scheduled. How many of them have been canceled? Well, my gut says none because I feel like, you know, there's some pride in the Olympic movement. And and I kind of remember the 1936 visuals of, you know, Hitler right before World War II. Yeah. Watching the games That's and right. Jesse Owens and you know, that kind of stuff. That was his, his right. moment. I am curious. Am, am I wrong? Well, you're not too far off. It's certainly not a big number. It's only three. Only three okay. editions of the Summer Olympics have ever been canceled. And two of them were right around World War II, if I'm not mistaken, uh, 1944, 1948. And one edition because of World War One. So only world wars have prevented the Olympics from Summer Olympics from taking place. Now we know the 2020 version of the Olympics in Tokyo was postponed last year because of the pandemic due to start in July of 2021. However, if you believe a report that came out not too long ago in the Times of London, that report suggested that this Olympics that has already been postponed is now unlikely to take place. And the quote has come from Someone you have to respect, he was the organizer of the London 2012 Games, Sir Keith Mills. He was the chief executive of of those games, so he knows a few things about organizing the Olympics. And he's pretty connected with the IOC, right? I mean, he probably knows the right people to ask. He must know people in in the organizing committee in Tokyo, and he says it's highly unlikely to happen. What's a bigger concern is really to back this up, again, you have to believe the times, that that the Japanese government themselves have privately conceded that the games are off. And yeah. unidentified senior member of Japan's ruling coalition has said, you know what, we have an agreement and the Olympics are canceled. Publicly, of course, <laughs> just like uh, the NFL, what do you think the host committee have said? Yeah. Still no, on, right? No, 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 we're on. We're on. We're on. I wonder if this is a little bit of a concerted effort to kind of get some little bits of news out there that maybe it's going to be bad news this summer and they're sort of testing the waters, right, to see how the people react to it. But it is it is interesting. I mean, I think at this point in time, we still don't know a lot about these 
variants, what's going to happen. And imagine just literally people coming from every corner of the globe into one city, right? That's right. Bringing in with them God knows what, potentially to cause even more damage. I mean, I, I would be very surprised if you know it's not on the table to cancel him altogether. Well, that is the argument that's been put forward by this report. Of course, the Japanese government, the IOC, the host committee are going to say, listen, and they have said, listen, we know much more about the disease in 2021 than we did in, in 2020 when it was a relative unknown. Yeah, many, yeah. many millions of people have already been vaccinated. That's true. And many yep. millions more will be vaccinated uh, come the summer, which is still which is still four months away, four and a half months away as far as the start of the, Olympic, the Olympics go. And the host committee have spent $2 billion on a plan to, if not prevent completely, then substantially minimize the spread of Corona-19, COVID-19, I should say, or, or any variant thereof. Right, right. Who do you believe? You know, that's the question. Well, I don't know. This is tragic on so many levels. I mean, obviously, it's tragic for the athletes because a lot of them, as you know, Anand, this is their one shot. Some of them will never have the opportunity to go to another Olympic game. Some of them may not qualify next time, right? Some of them might be too old. I mean, it's all kinds of different things. Politically, this is a huge mess for the Japanese government as well, whether it's local, municipal, whatever, right? The challenges here are just out of their control, and this is going to be a big, big loss for them. And I wonder, even if they decide to hold something, is it worth it? Is it worth bringing in just the athletes playing you know, in front of empty stadiums? I guess the networks get to show the games. I guess they make their money, but will they pass on the money to the organizing committee? Probably not, would be my guess. So in that case, maybe they just shut it all down. Well, there's losses all around if they shut it down. You know, you can cancel a, a Division Two basketball season. You know, you can cancel a D3 volleyball season. And they've done so, obviously, because there's no real money involved. But here you're talking about, as you said, quite rightly, the hopes and dreams of, of many thousands of athletes, the financial gain that comes with an athlete from a relatively small nation winning a big Olympic medal, winning a gold. They're set up for life financially with the endorsements that come with that. Yeah, yeah. But the losses to, to Japan, to Tokyo, it's mooted the Olympics have cost them $25 billion. Yes, a lot of it's privately <sighs> funded by substantial, yeah. you know, good sizable yeah. Japanese corporations. But no one wants yeah. to lose that kind of money, even if it's collective. And Japan were hoping for a $2 billion uplift for their economy, yeah. out of all costs. <laughs> right. There's so much at stake, and I can understand the dilemma. I think it's too soon. I don't think you can have many hundreds of thousands of people from all kinds of places around the world you know, coming I to think watch you're these right. games. I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. And, and I think... Uh, Someone needs to make the tough call, and whether it's a person or it's a committee, <laughs> yeah. if you want to send that person into the sacrificial room yep. <laughs> to make that call. Hot a kitty and, time. Hot a kitty time. And, uh, exactly. Have that. Have that press conference. But I think that needs to happen. Yep. It'll be sad, but I think I think I share your view. I think it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so we're going to take a little break. And when we come back, Anand and I are going to touch upon some of the American investment in UK and Premier League sports. So stay tuned. Hey, everyone. It's Anand from the In The Game podcast. First of all, on behalf of Vlad and the team, thank you for taking the time to listen each week. We know your time is valuable and we're grateful that you choose to spend some of it with us. 
We really hope you find it worthwhile. We'll continue to do our best to provide you with compelling stories and disruptive analysis from the world of sports business. Now we'd like to ask you a favor. If you like the show, please share a link with your friends, colleagues, and fellow sports lovers. Tell them that they need to get in the game too. And of course, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate your five-star rating and review. From your podcast app, just tap on the In The Game cover art, scroll down, and tap on Write A Review. Believe it or not, this little gesture really helps. Thank you all so much, and now it's time to get back in the game. Anand, so this big story that we have for this week, kind of, as you and I know, touches both feet in uh, the U.S. and in the U.K., um, especially here, kind of relevant to to the West Coast. Uh, this story comes from the Bay Area, San Francisco, where I used to live. The San Francisco 49ers, as you know, Anand, have been investing in Leeds United. They, they owned 15% of the team. And this January, they bumped up their investment to 37%, which is sort of an interesting kind of thing. Leeds United owner, who is Italian, Andrea Radrizzani, Still remains the majority shareholder, but Parag uh, Marate, the 49ers executive with a seat on the Leeds United board, becomes the chairman of the club. So kind of an interesting new news. Obviously, this is not the first investment an American team or American investment group has made into, into UK. So we've done some research on this, and I'll let you kind of walk us through this. Two quick things. Um, I know you meant to say Parag is the vice chairman, not the chairman, just to let our audience know that he's he's the vice chairman, but he's a really smart guy and he's on the board. The other point I want to make, you were lucky enough to live in the Bay Area, which is, you know, an absolutely gorgeous place to be. Let's take the cost out of the equation. And with the greatest of respects and apologies to our listeners from Leeds, you don't really want to be living in Leeds. I've been to Leeds oh, a couple of times. Are you hoping that people react on Twitter? Is this your... Is this your I'm not hoping for anything, but I've, I, I've been to both places. I have tremendous respect for both places, but I think you'd, you'd probably want to live in the Bay Area if, if you had a choice. Yeah. <laughs> but hey, the Americans are coming. Yes, into they England. are. Beautiful landscape or not. They're, they're continuing to come. You know, this is another yeah. fantastic example of the ongoing benign invasion of American interests into I don't know if it's so benign. I don't know if it's so benign, Anand. We'll we'll get into this, but I think this is pretty aggressive. Well, let's see how it pans out. But hey, to bring you background, you know, just to remind all of us, I'll ask you this, Vlad. Of the 20 Premier League teams that we have, how many do you think are majority owned by UK people, by British people? Gosh. That's a tough one. London and the UK is sort of the European financial center, and it attracts a lot of people from around the world. Generally, I would guess maybe a half are owned by foreigners. So 50-50, right? More or less. Roughly. Yeah, I mean, maybe okay. two-thirds. Well, 17 of the 20 Premier League teams oh, wow. are completely or majority owned by non-UK people. Only wow. three okay. out of 20 teams. Brighton and Hove Albion. Tottenham Hotspur and West Ham United are the only teams that have majority British owners. And is it only because the three that are owned by the Brits got moved up from the lower league? No. So they haven't been acquired yet? <laughs> One of them, Brighton and Hove Albion, have been in a, in a division below not so long okay. ago. 
West Ham okay. United have managed to stay up for the majority of the last uh, recent history. And Tottenham Hotspur have been up for, for many years. Yeah. So Tottenham yeah. Hotspur, you have to consider to be one of the bigger clubs in the Premier sure. League. Maybe not in the That's super right. elite level, but they're a big team. So That's right. yep. when did this all start? We have to look at Manchester United with the infamous or famous Glazer family, depending on your point of view. They came in in a bigger way around 2003 to 2005, buying up shares over those two years until they became majority shareholders. Yeah. And as recently as just two months ago, in December 2020, Velocity Sports Partners acquired an 84% stake in another northern English team, Burnley Football Club. So this concept okay. of foreign ownership of Premier League teams is not new. U.S. billionaires, individuals, private equity companies, they've been buying in not just to England, but into Europe for some time now. That's right. There is a bit of a you know Brit mania going on, I have to say, because there's been some actors who have been buying into some of the clubs, and we'll get into that in a, in a, in a few moments here. Yep. But now investment uh, firms are going in. U.S. clubs are also going in. I have to say, this is one of those moments where, like, you know, one of my buddies the other day talked to me how he is raising money through a SPAC, and a SPAC is a special purpose acquisition company. Yes. And then he's trying to raise money to buy a soccer team in the UK. And I'm like, okay. Really? And the SPAC form is sort of interesting because it's it's essentially a public company. They issue shares usually for $10 and then they use the proceeds from that to acquire other assets or allows companies kind of a quick and fast way to go public without sort of the SEC scrutiny of a of an initial public offering. Yes. So there is some risk there, obviously, and it's kind of an exotic product, if you will. But that's secondary to the to the conversation. As you said, you mentioned the Glazers, yes. who also own the Tampa Bay uh, the Bucks. Buccaneers, yep. who just that's won right. the Super, Super Bowl, Bowl right? champions. Kroenke. I didn't realize the Kroenke family out of, out of Texas owns Arsenal, but they also own in the U.S. the Los Angeles Rams, the Denver Nuggets, Colorado Avalanche, and, and a number of others, right? Massive yeah. uh, sports ownership group. That's massive, yeah. right? You've got Shahid Khan, uh, who owns Fulham in the UK, and also the Jacksonville Jaguars, right? That's right. We've talked about the Fenway Sports Group uh, that owns Liverpool. And the Red Sox. Uh, West, and the Red Sox, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right, Fenway. Yep. And West Eden's uh, with uh, Aston Villa. So it's becoming like an asset class, essentially, right? It is. For, for these investors. Yeah, it is. And I think we should kind of just remind ourselves why this is the case, why are European, and we're looking a little bit more closely at English soccer or football clubs, so attractive to um, American investors, both those with a sporting background and those who are just investors. Right, that's right. The bottom line really is that they're cheap. They're cheap compared to US <laughs> yes. franchises. Okay? Yeah, they are. It, 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 it is crazy. all relative. You know, if we look at American franchises, majority of NFL franchises are valued at well over a billion many into yeah. multiple billions. If you look at yeah. the top 40 sports franchises in the US across all sports, right? The top 40 are enterprise value over 2 billion with several, over half of them valued at over $3 billion. So I have to yeah. ask, where is the opportunity for the investor to enter, first of all, at these enterprise values? And then secondly, where is your upside? How much, yep. how much bigger can you get within the American relatively closed shop model of franchised, right. yeah. uh, franchised sports teams, where does the growth come from? I think this is why they're looking to, 
to get return on their investment from England and from Europe. We can make a comparison. If we look at relatively elite European teams, let's take the top 15 out of the equation, okay? Let's look yep. at teams 16 to 32 by a rough 2020 enterprise valuation. None of these teams are valued at over a billion dollars. More than half of these teams are valued at 500 million or less. And in this list, there are, at least by European standards, big household names in there. There's yeah. Ajax from Amsterdam, AC yep. Milan, Inter Milan, huge, yep. you know, AS yep. Roma. These are big, yeah. hugely followed, house, internationally followed, okay, international soccer teams. Right, right. These are big brands. And they come at a discount. And they're valued at a yeah. fraction of, I would argue, globally lesser known American brands. Yeah. You can see the potential. That's right. That's right. I think it's right, right, that these guys should be looking to buy in here? A hundred percent. It's at a discount to the American teams, yep. number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, they're a global brand, so you can leverage them globally essentially the day that you begin to own them. That's effectively, right. That's right. right. The other thing is the value of the real estate, I would argue, is not as utilized in some of these other countries as it is in the U.S. So, And I think people are realizing that because – you know, most of the time, the stadium is just sort of, you know, home to the team, right? They're not being used for, you know, concerts and other sort of events Correct. and things like that. Correct. Which is, you know, not all of them can be used for it, yeah. but some of the bigger names, certainly like Manchester and so forth, certainly Liverpool, you can. And this is sort of kind of the earlier comment that I made about the two young actors. So Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhinney right. acquired a, a fifth division I guess English soccer club. The club is in Wales. Is that right? So, no, not technically English, right? So, I'm not technically not English. Offending more people here, and not not English in any way. If you speak to a Welshman, <laughs> Wrexham, right. Wrexham AFC is very much in the heart of Wales. So, don't don't tell them they're English. That's right. So, you you offend the Leeds. I guess I offend Wrexham. <laughs> You're going to so get we're, punched. We're, we're, we're both going to get punched here. in the face this week. Yeah, but the point here is that they are investing about two and a half million dollars, just around there, but they're not using it to buy the club they're investing it in in actually to inc to increase the infrastructure meaning the stadium right so they're putting the money in yes they're going to create this real estate they're going to own the real estate right and they also get the club with it yes so again fifth division so they have some room for growth yes and for two and a half million bucks i mean this is this is a deal let alone some of the other ones that you mentioned like ajax and ac milan and inter milan for 500 million dollars those are deals. Well, I think this is a smart play, okay? If you acquire a bottom third Premier League team, I'm going to speculate value like 200 million, 300 million, okay? Or you drop a today. This is this is today. Yeah, today. I mean, let, let's try to take COVID out of the equation because it's just too hard yeah. to calculate otherwise. Let's just say pre-COVID. Or if you go a, a division down, and don't forget that in European football, there's the concept of the teams that finish first, second, third, or first and second, they get promoted to the division above, and the teams right. drop down from that division below if they finish in the bottom two or three positions at the end of the season. So so there's real incentive to play well and, and try to win your league, win your division, because you get promoted. And if you go from this second tier in English football which is branded the championship to the Premier League, well, then it's a completely, it's not even a different ball game. It's a different sport, okay? The monies are at a <laughs> right. multiple X level. And you were saying the players are semi-pro, essentially, the further down you go, right? So that means... That certainly is the case. That that certainly yeah. is the case in these, you know, in Wrexham's, where Wrexham play, they play in the National League, which in, in theory is not a professional league, it's a semi-pro league. 
Yeah. Why? Yeah. Again, if you look at if you look at England, the Premier League TV rights relative to the enterprise values of these teams is at a high multiple. You know, the Premier League rights in the three years to 2022, when they'll be up for renewal again, are worth 13 billion dollars. And importantly to note, two thirds of that money is shared equally among all 20 teams. So long two as two thirds, yeah, interesting. And it's shared yeah. equally is the point. So two thirds of that money, if Liverpool are the Premier League champions, two thirds of that money, they made the same as teams that got relegated down to the championship. Okay, right. Which is interesting. The NFL model is half, and in the U.S., they're kind of the model for kind of doing it right in terms of, you know, really taking care of their own, but they're only sharing half of that, yep. you know, TV rights revenue. So two thirds is a uh, very rich one would argue. And there's your answer to your question, right? Where's the value, right? Because you said the deal of the networking contract is uh, what, 13 billion pounds? The TV rights is 13 billion pounds, correct. Yeah. This is over what period of time? Over three years. So this is a combination- Over three years. Combination of domestic rights. Yep. So broadcasters like Sky, BT Sport, Amazon, they broadcast domestically and then every broadcaster you can think of internationally. Yeah. They pay a separate package. Yeah. So if you extrapolate that, let's say like a 10-year valuation, that comes to about maybe $40 billion roughly, right? Yeah. Give or take. A little, little less, a little more, right? Yeah. So, you know, that's that's a nice chunk of change over over a course of a you know, decade. And here's the prime example, right? So uh, Mr. Red Rizzani, who, let's go back to Leeds yes, now, right? Yes. Who bought the club. He bought it at $140 million. Yep. Uh, this that is sounds what, about what, right. What, what he stated. And he said he is calculating that the value of his investment has already tripled since he bought it. I, I don't know exactly which year he you know, bought it, but let's assume it's in the last six, seven years, right? So the share that the 49ers probably paid him to go from 15% to you know, 40, nearly 40%, yes. probably paid a big chunk of that back to him. So he's already made some of that back, if you will, just by virtue of bringing a partner in, in on board. And now comes the added value, and, and he says this. He actually says this in the interview that he did last summer. He said, the 49ers are a strong brand and a strong franchise, and they have good experience managing a stadium in a big facility like Santa Clara. Yep. You know, this is the Levi Stadium. Levi Stadium. He also stated very clearly that the 49ers are very active in using analytics, using data, using technology to improve their team, and he's looking to do this with you know leads also, which is super interesting. The final comment he made was around Major League Soccer. And I wouldn't be surprised if you know he had a lot of praise for Major League Soccer, basically saying there's a lot of potential here. And look, his his wheels are in motion, right? He's already thinking, how do I get in on early in on this deal? Maybe the York family with the 49ers can help me sort of get into a soccer club in the major league soccer system, right? And we can help each other out. This is, I think, where this is going. I think it's a fantastic concept. It's already been proven with other clubs. A couple of comments to make. You mentioned he said his club's value had tripled tripled in value, right? His investment had tripled yeah. in value. Well, that yep. would make sense because he bought them when they were in the championship, okay? The second tier. Yeah. Yeah, And they got promoted to the Premier League this season. And with all the trappings that come with being a participant in that $13 million broadcasting contract and all the monies that yep. come with it, well, yep. clearly that value is going to, is going to increase, number one. Yep. Number two, exactly. talking about the partnership of 
an American, a historic, established, professional American sports ownership bringing added value to an English team. Well, this has been going on for a long time now, and I hate to say it as a Liverpool supporter that our traditional rivals, Manchester United, they've been the pioneers of this. You know, since the Glazers came in, you know, in the very late 90s and with a small ownership yep. and, you know, took majority over in the early 2000s, you know, they, they caught that they caught that wave at the right time. The Premier League was on the up. They were 10 years into the Premier League. The value of the rights was just starting to roll. The interest in the Premier League was just starting to increase globally. And this is the important thing yep. globally, yep. okay? The Glazers know merchandising. They know large-scale sponsorship. They know apparel and product licensing, Okay. That's right. Yeah. And they know, for example, corporate hospitality within the stadiums. Yes. A season ticket in a nice plush corporate box could sell for 30 or 40 times a single seat in a regular That's seat right. in the stadium. That's right. So they yep. put, you know, a large number of corporate boxes, you know, into their stadium. And that stadium is still the largest in the UK, 76,000 is still yeah. by far the lar I, lar largest club. I think I think the underutilization of the real estate is is one of the huge moves that any of these new owners are going to experience, right? Just putting some new kind of things, thinking around there, you know, increasing the value of that. A lot of it's down to the corporate hospitality because yeah, because that's right. Before before foreign ownership came in, you know, English soccer, and I'm not going to make a judgment on what's right and what's wrong, okay? Because a lot of traditional soccer stroke football fans will say the commercialization has destroyed the game. Okay. And I consider yeah, myself, yeah. you know, kind of sitting on both sides of the fence because I'm an entrepreneur. I understand business and I understand how these things work in terms of investments and return on investments. But at the same time, I'm first, I'm a fan. And yeah. I, I, I do find it difficult when families cannot afford the ticket prices because they're just astronomically high. But this is just part and parcel of the commercialization of the game. That's right. That's right. So, but the value that the Americans bring. You know, just from a business point of view, is second to none. As I mentioned, the marketing, the merchandising, just the commercialization of the brand, bringing the brand into the global markets, is what paves the way for an increase in enterprise value. I That's think. Right. I think. I think this gentleman has got a fantastic thing going on. The partnership with the Niners. He's probably thinking he wants to to do something similar to what City Football Group have done. You know, this whole platform model, right? Abu Dhabi. Okay, the available funds is maybe a little bit different. They're you know worth many billions of dollars. They can throw cash here and there, but they own not only Manchester City in England, but they own New York City FC. They own uh, Girona in Italy, and they own okay. teams in in Japan, India, and Australia. The cross pollination okay. yeah. of audiences, yeah. you know, the the digital platforms they can create within the teams that they own. They can create content. They can sell this content. They can engage fans who are in one market with a team from another market. It's tremendous. It's tremendous. I mean, I, I, lo I love the business model, even though you know, it doesn't apply to my team. And you can hear I'm quite passionate about my team. But from a commercial point of view, I think this owner of Leeds, he, he knows what he's doing. I think he's a really smart guy. And I think this partnership with the 49ers with the potential to form a team in the US eventually is a big winner if he can pull it off. Agreed. Agreed. Anand, now we're entering into overtime. Okay, so remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about that little patch on the Lakers jersey? Oh yes, the value I remember of it well. Million. 
Yeah, <laughs> the day the day that they talked about. Yep, yep. Well, it looks like you know they got something to it. Story earlier this week: uh, Lakers are getting the best ratings on TV, uh, so highest ratings, and also they are getting the highest exposure on TV. So. Basically, they're getting the most games are on TV than any other team. Okay. By the time their season is over, right, they will have played nearly half of their season on various TV channels, and and their games will be shown around the country. And on top of that, the viewership is about a hundred thousand higher than any other team at about one and a half million viewers. The second to them is the Clippers. They're coming in at one one point three nine million viewers. Is that average uh, viewers? Per time they're viewers on, for each time they're shown? I would say per game. Per, per game live game shown, yeah. okay. That's right. And so how many, yeah, they're, yeah. they're 82 games a season, and they're being shown over Ruff, over half, right? Roughly half. I think maybe just just under half. So say 40. Uh, but it'll be, it'll be the, the most broadcast team right. of any team. I'm just thinking about the, a number. So that's 4 million more views, right? You're saying 100,000 right. more. Than the next team, hundred thousand more over forty mm-hmm. games. So that's four million yep. more cumulative eyeballs. Well, eight million eyeballs because right. I guess humans have two eyeballs, but four million right. more viewers. Yes, minimum, and I would say more because that that's just on par. If the games were shown on on par with with others, but on top of on top of the increased viewership, they're also shown more games. Right. So I right, would argue right. maybe even five million more, maybe six million okay. more. Right. Okay. I'm with on, you on you know some some of the others right so what you're trying to say is that this patch value is really it really works they they they're justifying this value now is that what you're trying to say <laughs> they, they, they really are and it sort of talks to the the value of the global brand not just for the lakers but for you know lebron james also right and he's he's really driving that at this point yes. i mean they are the team to watch on on you know tv so yeah Kind of an interesting thing. So India and China, we need to we need to get the ratings out of India and China because if it's a if it's a hundred thousand more in the U.S., maybe it's a million more for each of those countries. How about that? I think I think Adam Silver knows to the person how many more. So that that patch value is going to be three hundred million or four hundred million. Come on. They're not thinking big enough. All right. Well, it's a wrap for us. Thank you for your time. We know that if you're listening to this show, you know how to subscribe to podcasts. So hit that subscribe button. Tell your friends and family about us. And if you'd like to get in touch, please connect with us. Our contact information is in the show notes. Anand, good game. Great game, Vlad. See you next week. 